Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, a.k.a. problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Happy Halloween! Paul Manafort and Rick Gates have surrendered to the FBI, and George Papadopoulos has pled guilty. And we talk with Gretchen Carlson about her landmark sexual harassment settlement with Roger Ailes. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode, everyone. Thank you for joining us. We have a lot of ground to cover today. Before we do, we would love for you to hop on over to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics where you can support the show and also receive access to lots of bonus content. We have some behind the scenes pictures from our live show with Gretchen Carlson that we're going to share in our main section today and all kinds of other things for you over at Patreon. So thank you for your support if you've already done that. And if not, we hope you'll consider it. Also, it is 
very helpful to us when you subscribe to Pantsuit Politics and share it with others and leave a review on the Apple Podcast player. Today, we're going to talk about the big indictment news from yesterday, and we're going to share our interview with Gretchen Carlson and talk, as always, about what's on our minds outside of politics. So I would like to start this segment by reminding everyone the lesson we should have learned from Martha Stewart. Do not lie to the FBI. The end. It's an enduring lesson. It is, and one that people have trouble just taking to heart. Well, let's do a little bit of background to set this up, because I think that as the news is unfolding, and of course, more will have unfolded by the time we publish this episode we're recording on Monday afternoon, you get a lot of sound bites, and it's easy to forget the context. So we have a special counsel, Robert Mueller, because Rod Rosenstein was acting as attorney general because Jeff Sessions had recused himself from investigating any contact, conduct related to the Trump campaign. Because Sessions recused himself, Rosenstein is acting as attorney general, and then he needs to appoint the special counsel because Rosenstein was involved in the firing of Jim Comey. And Donald Trump is real mad about this going down, P.S. So on May 17th, he appointed Robert Mueller, authorized him to investigate, and this is a quote, any links and or coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the campaign of President Donald Trump and any matters that arose or may arise directly from the investigation and any other matters within the scope of this federal special counsel statute, which says that the special counsel's jurisdiction shall also include authority to investigate and prosecute federal crimes committed in the course of and with the intent to interfere with the special counsel's investigation, such as perjury, obstruction of justice, destruction of evidence, and intimidation of witnesses, and to conduct appeals arising out of the matter being investigated and or prosecuted. And if necessary and appropriate, the special counsel is authorized to prosecute federal crimes arising from the investigation of these matters, which I say because as you see people talking about whether Robert Mueller has exceeded the scope of his authority, it is important to look at what that authority is. AKA that's pretty pretty broad. broad. (laughs) Robert Mueller has filed an indictment in the district court for the District of Columbia in a criminal action styled United States of America versus Paul Manafort and Richard Gates. He alleges that Manafort and Gates have acted as unregistered agents of the government of Ukraine, a former Ukrainian president, and two pro-Russia political parties. We'll talk more about Ukraine in a second. That they used foreign companies and bank accounts to hide tens of millions of dollars and lied on their tax returns. That they lied to the Department of Justice about lobbying U.S. officials on behalf of the Ukrainian interests they represented. That they didn't pay income taxes on lots of money. There are very specific allegations about how both Manafort and Gates spent that money. And it's kind of weird because it's like Paul Manafort was living this incredibly lavish lifestyle and Gates was paying children's tuition and hiring an interior decorator for his Virginia residence. I like it. More than $75 million apparently flowed through offshore accounts, and the allegation is that Manafort laundered more than $18 million of that and that Gates transferred more than $3 million to accounts he controlled. And the indictment has tons of charts in it showing all of the domestic and foreign entities that these guys controlled and specific wire transfers. So this is not throwing darts at the wall and seeing what sticks. Like, they are going after some very particular transactions well and then of course 
they dropped the bomb that that George Papadopoulos, a foreign policy advisor for the Trump campaign, has already pled guilty of false statements to the FBI. Again, previous statement. Don't lie to the FBI, guys. And so it seemed this sort of like double whammy of sorts. There's all kinds of speculation that Papadopoulos's guilty plea is being used to pressure Manafort to speak. The arrest of Manafort is trying to pressure other people to break and speak. And I saw a really interesting tweet that from an investigator that was like they're sort of treat the way that this investigation is playing out is sort of how they're it's almost like they're treating it like a cartel and trying to break it open. All very interesting. So very interesting. Papadopoulos was actually arrested on July 27th. And then his stipulation was filed on October 3rd. It is amazing that we did not know this until today. And just a friendly reminder that, like, even right now where we're facing these, you know, long indictments and all this information, we still have no idea what Robert Mueller knows. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a good reminder to remember, like, we don't know everything by any stretch of the imagination. And this is really fast. I mean, they've only been investigating since May, and they're already indicting these guys on money laundering charges. I mean, like, there's some detailed investigative work going on here. I saw some speculation that perhaps the timing of this indictment was motivated by statutes of limitations running with respect to some of the tax crimes. Mm, That's interesting. So I don't know how much of this is strategic versus just they were ready to go or they needed to do it now. Um, But that speculation is out there. Again, more will more will come to light over the next few days. It also feels kind of like a series of puzzle pieces because what Papadopoulos stipulated to in his guilty plea is fairly unrelated on the surface, at least to the Manafort and Gates indictment. Papadopoulos is talking about, um, it kind of reads like a James Bond novel, the the professor who he thought was close to the Russian government and who claimed to have, quote, dirt on Hillary Clinton in the form of thousands of emails, and the female Russian (laughs) national who he thought for some time was related to Vladimir Putin found out that she was not, but also claimed to be close to the Kremlin and able to arrange a meeting between the campaign and the Kremlin. That's over here with Papadopoulos. Manafort and Gates have two really distinct issues going on. The money stuff and the lobbying stuff, to put it colloquially. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are all these charges related to tax tax fraud and money laundering. And then you also have the fact that they were directly lobbying the United States government on behalf of foreign interests without disclosure and lying about that the whole time by essentially pretending to engage other lobbying firms and just acting as like a, I don't know, referral source or something when they were really directly taking actions on behalf of Ukrainian interests. So it's just, it's a lot to put together. Well, and on top of everything, while all this is happening, the experts at Fox News and our president are super focused on the fact um, that Hillary Clinton and the Democratic Party seem to have given money to a law firm that also hired the expert that did the dossier research. And this also this, oh, Lord, this um, uranium deal, which they're also going on and on and on about. And at first, I think they felt, 
you know, even the Wall Street Journal came out and did this like editorial board on piece on it and I think they thought like ooh, maybe this is going to work maybe we'll be able to like we got a little bit on Hillary we can pump this into something we can direct all the anger and hatred this way we've got something to hang our hat on and now that this comes out it just feels so deflated and empty any mention of both of those things I don't understand the strategy of I mean Corey Lewandowski even had that slip that went viral about the Clinton administration, administration. What, like, stop being obsessed with these people. I don't I don't get it. I don't get how in their minds, other than to continue to say to the Trump voter, well, she was worse. Yep. You know what I mean? I don't know what this is about. I mean, I think that they, you know, the only strategy he knows is to create another enemy, as we've talked about before. And he needs to show, you know, his strategy now is that, oh, well, what the Clinton was, we we might have colluded with Russia, but she was doing it worse, you know? And I just, well, and before the Papadopoulos plea dropped, he was still like, no collusion, no collusion. And that dropped, everybody was like, oh, man, maybe you shouldn't really talk about that collusion thing now that there's all the emails and the advisors and the things saying we were emailing and working it all out for you. And the White House's defense on Papadopoulos apparently is that he was kind of a nobody. Despite the fact there is the on-the-record Washington Post interview with him citing him as one of his main sources of foreign policy advice. And that he filed in court a statement that he, in connection with his guilty plea, his signed sworn testimony is that he was a member of the foreign policy team. Oh, man. I don't think that you pretend to be higher ranking in the Trump campaign than you were in connection with criminal proceedings. Just a guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought we should talk for a quick second about the Ukraine, because why does this matter in context of Russia? We should have some actual facts about that. Um, And I won't go on and on about this. Maybe I'll do that another time. (laughs) But for today, I want you to know that the Ukraine is just a little bit smaller than Texas. It is bordered by Russia, Belarus, Poland, Hungary, Slovakia, Romania, and Moldova. Um, It has had three periods of independence as a nation after German occupation near the end of World Wars I and II. And then after World War II, eventually Ukraine was consolidated back into the USSR. In 1991, near the end of the Cold War, Ukraine gained its independence. It used to be called the Ukraine, um, but the has been dropped in almost all uses now. So Hmm. just FYI about that. Ukraine declared itself a neutral state following its independence, but it formed a military partnership with the Russian Federation and a partnership with NATO. And there's this tension. There are forces within Ukraine that want to be closer to the EU and NATO and forces that want to be closer to Russia. And Viktor Yanukovych, who was the president of Ukraine, wanted to... This was prior to the Ukrainian Civil War. So President Yanukovych wanted to suspend relations with the EU and NATO and get closer and closer to Russia. This led to a 2014 revolution in the country. He was overthrown. He fled to Russia and a new government was established. Yanukovych is a client of Paul Manafort. And so he is the person on whose behalf Manafort was doing lobbying efforts. And it was his political party that was also a client. And so you have the pro-Russian Ukrainian president interacting and spending lots of money with Manafort and Gates to lobby in the United States related to Ukrainian sanctions, the validity of Ukrainian elections and the propriety. This is a fun one of Yanukovych imprisoning his presidential rival. Hmm. 
Manafort and Gates apparently paid $4 million. Something like that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot here. There's a lot here. Ukraine is now engaged in a conflict with Russia over Crimea, which has been in the news quite a bit and is another subject that we could talk about for days. And I don't know if you're on Team Mueller where all of these threads take you, but it is surprising to me that in such a short period of time, they already felt confident enough to indict. And I mean, I think that it's tough because there's no smoking gun here that there was collusion. And I think that's what everybody was hoping, particularly when these first indictments came out. But like I said, once they were, they came out and then you had the guilty free from Papadopoulos. Any excuse they make about why Papadopoulos in in particular's plea is unimportant rings so hollow. So how do you process this information, Sarah? Hmm. I mean, I think that it confirms what I already know, what I already believed anyway, which is that there was definitely coordination between Russia and the Trump campaign. Do I think that it was this top-down, highly organized effort? Uh, No. Do I think that parts of this are a little bit like a clown show? Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't mean um, that what happened wasn't illegal and wrong and shouldn't have happened. But I do think at the end of the day, like, they're going to get swept up. It's I think it's with these with this cast of characters, although I think Papadopoulos' plea is more important to the collusion story, I think what Manafort got swept up in could, in the end, be sort of more important to the bigger story. I think for me, this confirms my conviction about going to primary sources. So I was trying to follow all the tweets about what happened with the indictment. And as soon as I was able to go actually read the indictment, I felt like I was on a different planet. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, the ability to go directly to the special counsel's website and look at these things is super important. Lawfare, and we'll link this in the show notes, Lawfare blog has posted the actual stipulation from Papadopoulos. So understanding what's really going on for oneself, I think, is what I walk away from all of this with. And th- and I think there's just going to be more to come. I think that we are nowhere near the final chapter here. No, no, not at all. I think it's just sort of for me... If they could get this much this quickly, what else is there? And I don't want to speculate about that, especially when the president is on his way to Asia at a very critical moment for the world, talking about what's happening in North Korea, following China's president, increasing his power. It's hard for me to imagine how the administration makes anything good come of this trip when, honest to goodness, he needs a lawyer to say anything right now. If I were the president, I would not take one question on this trip. Oh, but you know he won't take that advice. No, he, I mean, he's already tweeting about it, so I guess he'll he'll do his thing. But, and I don't think he's going to stick. that's not good. No, and you know? I don't think he's going to stick. I mean, the strategy that was presented by his lawyer to the New York Times, which I thought was good, which is we've handed everything over. We have nothing to hide. No way he sticks with that. No freaking way. And it's just however you feel about the president, having the office in this kind of tumultuous situation is not healthy. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, at this point, like so much, you know, Watergate, Iran Contra, Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky, George Bush arguably lying about reasons that we went to war, like, you know. 
how much more abuse would be? I mean, I, it's not that I don't think it's going to be harmful. I just think that it was the office was already limping, I guess is what I'm thinking. Well, I think that's true. The office was limping. And I guess that what worries me more than anything, when you cite those historic examples, do we feel like our Congress was better functioning throughout those? Hmm. Because I'm saying that if Bill Clinton endured impeachment proceedings over Monica Lewinsky, how they have not been commenced today is a little bit beyond me. Yeah, you think? But, you know, they weren't... That's the only one we've had. We didn't have any over Iran-Contra. We didn't have any over, you know, the lies about the Iraq War. And what's the difference? They were same party control. That's depressing. That is depressing. And I'm I'm trying to wait to compliment the other side, but I guess we can go ahead and transition to that because it's super relevant, which is I was going, particularly when we talk about the history of the institutions and the way they've changed, I would like to compliment John Boehner or John Boehner Unchained, I guess, and this amazing article that came out in Politico this week, which you tweeted about and I just read, and I thought his vulnerability and honesty about the mistakes he made putting party above country... Um, policy trade-offs he's made, changes to the institutions he's made, was really, really, really fascinating. When I started reading it, Chad looked over and he said, I hope John Boehner's having a really good life now. And I said, you know what? I think he's not. I think he's really tortured. And there's something comforting about that and also kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. It was a great piece, though. I mean, that was some excellent journalism. Yeah. Uh, although, again, journalism, we talked about that a woman would have never been allowed to write because it was this very like, we're going to drink and smoke and play golf and I'm going to cuss at you and pick on you and let you into my old boys club. And that's how you're going to be able to write this story. And I just thought and every man and his and every person in his circle was a man, too, which also bugged me. Well, a, a huge takeaway for me from the John Boehner story that I could talk about for days is this is all so messed up. And a lot of that is directly related to just toxic masculinity. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. The bullying, the bullying that they did of one another, the way they speak to each other. It's like there is such an absence of professionalism and such an absence of someone to occasionally say, hey, wait, why why are we all here again? Yeah. But that's the thing. It's like when they were just talking about like, well, we're just here to represent our voters. Is that, do you think that? Do you think your sole purpose in being a congressperson in the capital of the United States of America is to rep- represent the views of the only the people who voted for you, not your other constituents, just your supporters? That's bananas. Well, and they don't, they don't even mean their supporters, right? I mean, they mean their supporters in terms of the people who give money yeah. and the people who show up enthusiastically at everything. You're whittling down to such a small subset of the American people when you start to think about the base. I was watching Rob Portman on Meet the Press this weekend just trying to walk this very thin line that Rob Portman always tries to walk. He wants to be a little bit above all of this, right? Mm. But he also is somebody who tries to get elected. Mm. And as he was doing that dance, I just thought, you are still so worried about the base. And the base is just leading everybody right off the cliff. 
Well, and I'll tell you though what what other what else struck me about that article, and it's it follows up on a couple other things I've read, which is in my liberal head, the Tea Party was a racist reaction to the election of Barack Obama. And what that article helped confirm for me that I'd read in a few other places is that's not entirely true. And people on the right were very upset, just as upset in different ways as many of us were at the end of the W presidency with what they felt was a broken promises, a growing government, a growing deficit, um, growing presence abroad, none of which represented the conservative principles that they wanted to see in their elected officials. How that became burn it to the ground, I don't know, but I do understand a little bit better where some of that frustration came from. And, you know, it's just so hard because I, I see both points, like I, with particularly with regards to the corruption in Congress, I understand why people hate earmarks and how they see earmarks as that such a source of um, corruption within the government. But at the same time, you see, like, when you don't have earmarks, it is a freaking anarchist show. You know, like, you just have, I would say, in a masculine-driven environment, you have no other way but carrots and sticks to get people to do what you want them to do. I think it could be different in a different when where the values and the uh, modus operandi are a little bit different, but whatever. Just all that was so interesting. My compliment for the other side is the perfect contrast to that. It's Claire McCaskill, who I saw on Meet the Press this weekend, talking about how she is proud to be a moderate, talking about how there absolutely is room to do a bipartisan tax bill. Mm. She was asked by Chuck Todd where she agrees with President Trump and gave a long list Wow. And she could have taken that question in a totally different direction. But she said, I want a middle class tax. I want relief for the middle class. I want infrastructure investment in our country. And she dove into here are the things I'm ready to talk about on taxes. Wow. That's awesome. And it was amazing. And and not hard. You know what I mean? I'm sure it was very, very difficult in the world that she's in. But sitting here in Kentucky listening to her, it sounded true and easy and like the kind of conversation that you and I would have about tax reform. Well, and it's and so it kind of made me sad. You yeah, know? and it's so interesting, too, because in that article, they talk about how often people come, including Boehner himself, come as reformist, anarchists, get in the institution and when you're in the inside, you see it from a different level and you understand how to work the gears and the levers and it's so interesting because he is at both times became really well-versed and well-suited to the institution and also blind to the bigger picture of how the institution was changing and what that meant for the country. So interesting. This is the thing, because I know that the D.C. wisdom about what I just said about Clara McCaskill would be to say, well, of course, because she's in a red state. Mm. Missouri loves Trump, so she has to do that. You know what? Cynicism is not a virtue. Nope. And having virtues is not dated or quaint. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this all weekend, too. I was thinking about the idea of offense and people being offended and people loving to be offended and all the comments that you get on anything that expresses anything about political correctness. You know, taking offense is not a vice or a virtue, right? It's just a thing that happens. 
and we've tried to turn it into one or the other depending on our side. And when we're at a place when we can't even hear each other and hear each other with some earnestness and some faith in what we're saying, I don't I don't know how we move forward from there. And I feel like this is so super relevant on a day when we're learning that indictments are rolling out related to a presidential campaign. Mm. There's nothing cute about what we've created here by deciding that we're too sophisticated to have some values. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm going to back off my soapbox now. I dig it. I dig it. Soapbox well received. Well, up next, we are going to hear from Gretchen Carlson who was fantastic in our discussion with her. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high-quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped, and I closed my eyes, and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked me through these issues, and I sort of channeled his energy I put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now. And there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high-quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30. Washable silk 
tops, premium luggage options, and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. So, Sarah, we had the opportunity at an event at uh, Taft Law, which is the firm that I work for, to speak with Gretchen Carlson. And I thought we could start out just by talking a little bit about the experience of meeting her and your overall impressions. Yeah, I had a great time. We, um, I was so struck by particularly one of the things she first said when she started talking, which was, you know, it's hard not to think about this crazy moment we're living in when you hear her story, which feels like to me it was the tipping point when we started to hear this what she describes as an avalanche of truth-telling you know right now we are in an extraordinary surreal time for sexual harassment awareness I could have never ever predicted this so the stories out of Hollywood the Harvey Weinstein's decades of alleged abuse and harassment are horrifying uh, but here we have now the avalanche of truth-telling the volume and speed, though, is still mind-numbing. I mean, look at what we've just had over the last few days. Amazon Studios' Roy Price, New Orleans' chef John Besh, highly acclaimed journalist Mark Halperin, and even now uh, President H.W. Bush is being held accountable for actions. So for those women in the audience who've been sexually harassed, and unfortunately that's one in three of you, according to statistics, but it's probably worse because most people don't come forward you know, these, this tidal wave has really been heartening to me. Sexual harassment, it turns out, can happen to any woman. You can be a lawyer or an engineer. You can be young or old, black or white, Republican or Democrat. And really what matters in each of these stories that I've come to know is that it's all about power. And as Cincinnati's leading attorneys and members of this community you should all care about this individually and collectively. And that's what's really important to know about this issue. Sexual harassment is rarely about sex. It's about power over somebody else. And today I want to talk to you about how, as women and men, we take that personal power back in our lives. So the past six weeks is really more of what I am calling this cultural tipping point. We had Uber we had Taylor Swift testifying in her groping trial over the summer. We had Ashley Judd. And to me, it was really the beginning of the floodgates opening. But on July 6, 2016, a date I will never, ever forget, when I jumped off the cliff all by myself, I felt desperately alone. It was as if I was falling into an abyss and there was no safety net below. My Twitter feed uh, didn't help the situation, if you've ever taken a look at it. Uh, here's just a taste of what I read each morning. I hope nobody ever hires you again, skank. Grow up and stop whining. 
You're too ugly to be sexually harassed. You wish you looked that good. Shut the hell up and go back to Minnesota. So my decision was an excruciating one. But once I told my story, thousands of other women started reaching out to me right away. And those stories ended up being the net that caught me during my fall. I heard from executives, tech workers, lawyers, police officers, oil rig operators, members of our military, engineers, waitresses, financial assistants. It turns out, unfortunately, in 2017, that every woman still has a story. Like Sophia, she was a young woman. Her dream was to rise up the ranks in advertising. On a work trip, her male colleagues took a cocktail napkin and wrote down all the sexual favors that they wanted her to do for them. And what would she get in return? Well, maybe she'd get an office with a window. Frederica, law enforcement officer, dreamed of one day being in the FBI. Well, that was before her supervisor propositioned her at a party. When she rejected him, she said, he made my life a living hell. And in the end, she had to give up the profession that she loved. Paula, the park ranger. She was assaulted by a married colleague. She told her boss, who promptly passed her over for the next promotion, and he claimed it was because she had had an affair with a married man, except she'd actually been assaulted by a married man who she worked with. When she sued, her boss told colleagues, I have a special place in hell for anyone who testifies for her. So after reading, replying to all, and crying over thousands of emails like those, I felt a sense of duty a call to do something about this, and I realized I had a lot of work to do. But let me be clear, I never envisioned in my entire life that I would end up being the face of this issue. I never envisioned that I would start a movement that would try to end this in the workplace. In fact, as you heard in my introduction, for a long time, all I wanted to do was actually play the violin. So one of the things that really impacted me as I read her book. And then even more so when I heard it from her is that she has endured so much more than what she endured at Fox News. And she has really been through some horrific abuse all throughout her career. My life's journey has presented itself with many other challenges. The week after I got married when I was in Cleveland after I lived here, I got home from my honeymoon, and my general manager called me into the office. I had been part of a very progressive, first-ever, two-female primetime newscast across the country. And it didn't work. The other woman was born and bred in Cleveland. I was the outsider, so I was the one who was told, you're fired. And here's what he said to me. You'll be okay now that you're married. Now that you have a husband to take care of you, you'll be fine. I'd never heard anyone say that to a guy. I then fought a four-year battle against a life-threatening stalker. He started stalking me after Miss America the full two years when I was in Richmond, Virginia. Unfortunately, he followed me here to Cincinnati, Ohio. It was a horror for me at Channel 9 here. 
He sent me an engagement ring at the station. He sent chilling, intimate letters about how we were going to spend the rest of our life together. He not only stalked me, I wore a personal alarm around my neck when I lived here in Cincinnati, a panic alarm for the police to know if I pressed it, what it was about immediately. He also stalked my parents in Minnesota. Uh, thanks to a Cincinnati police detective here and to Joe Dieters, uh, they helped me prosecute him. And after he made our lives hell, he only got a year behind bars. <coughs> then there's the shame and the demeaning nature of being sexually harassed. As I mentioned earlier, what you may have read about me over the last 15 months, uh, not my only experiences, unfortunately. I was sexually harassed several times in my early 20s, right at the end of my year of being Miss America. I was very tenacious and made a lot of cold calls because I decided I was going to try and break into the TV industry. And so I got through to a very powerful New York executive. And I spent the day with him, and he made a bunch of phone calls for me. And I thought, wow, he's being so nice. And we went to dinner. And we were in a car service going back to my friend's apartment at the end of the night. And all of a sudden, he was on top of me in the car with his tongue down my throat. He said he was going to help me get into TV. I didn't know that included being attacked. The very next week, a high-powered publicist in Los Angeles, almost the exact same thing happened. Again, I was in a car, and he took my neck in his hand, and he forced my head into his crotch so hard I couldn't breathe. Before we share this last clip of, of Gretchen's speech, I wanted to share just that, you know, I found her personally to be remarkably focused and very disciplined and someone who has been through a lot and so is cautious but also has a real sense of conviction about what she's doing. And so I hope that people will be open to hearing from her without saddling her with whatever you thought of her time at Fox News, because I see her now. I'm imagining that she is probably her most authentic self at this point, and I'm amazed by what she's overcome, and I'm amazed by her choice to take this on. Well, and I just think this is probably true of a lot of particularly females that have career experience on morning shows, be they Barbara Walters or Jane Pauley or any number of women, which is that they get a certain, we have a perception of them and they play a certain role on those morning shows. And then you meet them and you're like, oh, right. You're like a crazy serious journalist that rose to the very top um, levels of your career and profession and I think that's true of her, too. Like, you know, even if it's a network you don't like and even if it's a morning show um, that you don't care for, like, it takes a lot of hard work and guts and intelligence to get to that level, which is totally on display every time she spoke. Uh, what I, The other thing I want to say that we talk about in our discussion with her to sort of set up the intro to that is, you know, we listen to a lot of interviews with her to get ready for this. And what I was always so struck by is the almost accusatory way people brought up her non-disclosure agreement and the way in which it was, it felt like to me, you, I can't believe you signed this. We really want to hear what happened. So really that we can pick it apart and see what you did wrong. That's what it felt like to me. And it was starting to really make me mad, which you'll probably hear by the time, um, by the time we got to interview her. So I just... That's really where we kind of kick off the interview, and we hope you guys enjoy it. So what you're about to hear is the final 
um, are the final moments of her presentation and then a little bit of transition while uh, Sarah's getting mic'd up and I come up and sit with Gretchen and then the two of us have a conversation with her together. Here's what I know to be true. Women are no longer going to be underestimated, intimidated, or set back. We're not going to be silenced by the ways of the establishment or the relics of the past. Because I know that we can stand together and use our voices and show our courage and our power. And above all, we will always be fierce. We wanted to start by just saying thank you, too. You could be doing anything with your time and your talent, and you chose to be an advocate for other women, and you chose to go into industry after industry. You know, you could just be talking about the glamorous world where this happens, but you chose not to. You chose to go to real women and do the work of helping people, even though that responsibility is not yours. You know, you've taken it up on your own. So thank you for doing that. Thanks. Thanks for saying that. So over the past few weeks, I've been watching a lot of interviews with you um, because of the book and because of the current events. And I'm interested to talk to you about the way it seems to me, we're not journalists, that's sort of our shtick, but the journalists that you talk to seem to be obsessed with your non-disclosure agreement. And it seems to me it's like another way to sort of shame, why didn't you, why didn't you? And I'd really like to hear about not why you made the choice, but you talked to us earlier about the two choices you had and why that illustrates a much bigger problem. Right. So the way in which we've decided to resolve sexual harassment cases predominantly in society is one of two ways and both are silencing women. Uh, the majority of cases are resolved in settlements and the women can never tell you what happened. You have to sign a contract saying you won't. The other way is what I was talking about, forced arbitration, secret chamber never can tell anybody what happened to you, and you lose your job. What happened in my case was actually unusual in the sense, in a couple of ways. My brilliant legal strategy, not by me, by any stretch of the imagination, but by my lawyers, was to make my case public by suing uh, my alleged perpetrator individually. There happened to be a human rights law on the books in New York where we could do that. Um, but you know, I would have been forced back into the secret chamber if the courts didn't agree with that, and they probably would not have. So really, my choices were silence or silence. I didn't have, I was never going to be able to probably go to an open jury process. So, you know, before people start criticizing or complaining what the choices are for women, they need to understand what they are, which neither are, are necessarily great because you can't really ever say what happened. We're starting to see now that women are being brave enough to actually break their NDAs. Some of those are from 20 years ago, and the settlement dollar was quite low. Um, so, you know, what do they lose in doing that? They have the threat that the company will come after them to get the money back. But in the case of, like, a Weinstein story, like, the idea that the company would do that from a PR perspective probably wouldn't happen. But, um, you know, there's been a call for companies to release women from these NDAs. I totally understand why companies need you to sign confidentiality clauses for business secrets and trade secrets and that sort of thing, but, but not, for, not for covering up for serial predators. Well, and what's not emphasized enough with yours is that you got this amazing public apology and took it out into the public eye and removed a certain aspect of that veil of secrecy. 
And what was so interesting with your book is that that instinct with women is so often immediately self-shame, self-blame. And so I wonder the process for yourself. What did it feel like to get that public apology and to get, uh, like you said in your speech, shame is such a huge part of this process. Well, that was part of our negotiation. Um, you know, nobody gets an apology. Nobody. I know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's usually uh, if we're going to pay you, then you're going to shut up. So the idea that I could get the apology and have the ability to continue talking about this issue and advocating for change is huge. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra-concentrated, liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin, so it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. Earth Breeze sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh, gotta love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off Earth Breeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. Like a beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack, flaky 
and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. We love how you are reconceptualizing this issue as a man's issue. And we think that is critically important and the way to start to move this forward. When you think about companies, because you talk a lot about HR and you talk about forced arbitration clauses, and and you write in the book that there's this sense that companies have that, well, I have a man here who's so valuable to my company that I need to protect him. We'll lose something um, if, if he's not here. Can you talk about the sort of unquantified price of companies losing women's talent at the hands of men? Well, just from all the women that reached out to me who are not working in their chosen field anymore, I mean, my answer to that would be how horrifying that as a culture we're okay with taking the American dream away from all these women. I mean, that's outrageous to me. And that we're okay just because of the bottom line protecting a serial predator? I mean, that, that, that's just on its face when you say it like that. You're like, what? <laughs> but that's what's happening. And even within the Weinstein uh, contract, allegedly, the board of directors allowed his latest contract to include uh, that he could keep harassing, and if they found out about it, he'd pay a $225,000 fine. So it was fine to com- keep allegedly abusing women uh, for, the, for the bottom line, which I just think is not a lesson we would ever teach our kids, so I don't really know why we allow that to happen in companies. And it says a lot about how we value what women, women do. Exactly. How many women for one man? So what I've been advocating actually, uh, and I said it for the first time on the Colbert show the other night, was companies should hire back all these women who've lost their jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about making a statement. Go out and, and find, I'm sure they would gladly raise their hands and say, yes, I'd love to be an engineer again. So that's really where we should be focusing our attention is, is honoring these women who were courageous enough to come forward and never got any press on it or all they got was getting fired. One of my favorite parts of the book when you talk about the role of men and bystanders and companies is you talk about a study where they realized that the sexual harassment policies were seen as it's not the behavior that's the problem. People perceive it as the perception of the behavior is the problem. And it does seem to me like the narrative is well, you need to be a mind reader because what if you offend somebody as opposed to flipping that script and saying it's not about how somebody perceives your behavior, it's about the behavior. How do we do that? How do we push the conversation into, oh, well, you better not offend a woman or then you're going to get charged with sexually harassed as opposed to, no, let's talk about the behavior and what's going on in your brain and not the person you're... Right. It it really does need to be flipped that way because what this study found out was that inherent in sexual harassment training right from the get-go... Uh, men feel like they already have done something wrong and women actually feel that way too so you're setting a tone in the corporation against anyone who actually would come forward instead you know that's why I advocate so much for bystander training I know that over the years when I've done sexual harassment training it's even changed from 
in session, in person sessions, to just doing compliance checking off on the computer, right? Nobody pays attention to any of that, right? So we should really be doing more of the bystander training. How do we encourage people to have the courage to come up and, and say, yes, this happened? And imagine if from the top down in companies, the leaders of the company would actually have a group setting like this and say, you know what? We're not going to tolerate this in this company. And you heard it from me first. I'm at the top. We're not going to tolerate it. And we'll actually celebrate people. If it's happening and you come forward, we will celebrate you. Imagine how that changes the dynamic immediately. You give so many concrete action items throughout Be Fierce, which I loved. And one of my favorites was for us to discontinue saying he said, she said. Can you talk a little bit about that phrase? Yeah, because it equalizes what the woman may be saying, in some cases a man, but it, it equalizes what the victim's saying with the perpetrator right off the bat, like it's 50-50. It's like some stories that I heard from women, um, they would report harassment and then like the, the boss would bring the harasser and the victim in a room together to work it out. No. <laughs> I mean, right away you're saying, I believe you as much as I believe you, or, or, and that's like exactly the wrong thing to, to bring them together. So what about if we like just started with, okay, she said this. Forget, forget what he said. This is what she's saying right now. And let's figure out what we need to do to help this person. I mean, it's a whole different way of thinking about it, but it, it's basically not making it a 50-50 equation. I wonder when you talk about the people at the top, and that's what we're in the news with right now, these very powerful players. There's a part where um, you quote an expert as saying, um, these men by definition don't have boundaries. And I wonder like, what do we do about how do you get someone to empathize with no boundaries? How do you talk about being respectful when we have these big players, <clears throat> maybe in the White House, that have been accused of these things? <coughs> like, are, the, are there guys we just going to have to move aside? Is there any redeemable quality? I mean, I want, I'm struggling with these guys at the top when you're talking about we need leadership at the very top. I can't answer why they do it other than I've come to find out that it is about power and there must be some sort of chip missing in their brain with their own insecurities because um, that's usually how that fits together. Um, what I have found out through all the women I heard from, there was no real gray area in all the stories that I heard. You know, now I've been hearing sort of in the dialogue over the last few days, well, guys, now they can't even feel like they can say, you know, I like your dress. No, nah, that's not what we're talking about here. None of the women that I talked to had like a, a one-off like that, I mean, or a joke or anything like that. The majority of the stories that I heard were so outrageous that you could not even believe that this had actually happened in a workplace. Like uh, a radio disc jockey went in to talk to her boss about a promotion, and he said, get up on the table and spread them. And that was recent. You devote a, a whole chapter to children in the book and how important it is to raise boys today to think differently about these topics. And a theme that I saw in your story and the stories of all the women that you represent in the book is this sense of entitlement, this sense of an entitlement about a way people can treat you because you're Miss America, or a sense of entitlement about the way a new EMT can be treated because she's the only woman on the team. And I guess that's my question. How 
how should we think about our children and instilling a different set of values in them? Yeah, I decided to write an entire chapter on parenting because I think this is the only way we're really going to ever eradicate this, and it has everything to do with how we choose to raise our boys to respect girls and women. So I actually, I've always said that I worked more for my son than for my daughter for those reasons. I wanted him to respect his female colleagues eventually in the workplace the way in which he respected me at home. And now more than ever, I mean, our kids are watching us and hearing us with everything we do. So whether or not we're a married couple or we have a partner or we're a single parent or whatever, they're watching that relationship. And so first and foremost, just be aware that that mentoring is going on all the time. Also, I I share the story in the book that luckily both my kids like to cook because I'm not really a great cook. And growing up, uh, my daughter got a a pink Easy Bake Oven. But my son ended up liking it actually more than my daughter. And I never said to him, oh, don't play with that pink oven. I just thought it was fantastic. And the same would be told for when my daughter would say to me, could we go outside and toss the football? Yeah, let's go do it. So don't, you know, those are simple examples of not negating something uh, because it's, you know, gender-oriented. It's obviously so tough to be in control of your children's lives completely because they go to school and they are they're just changed in so many different ways aside from from the parenting one of the studies that really 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 upset me last year that came out in the spring was five-year-old girls were asked here's a smart statement could it be a man or a woman and at five they said oh it could be either one By the time they were six and seven and they heard the same statement, they said, oh, that's a man. So what happens between five and six? They go to school. What's still happening in our society at school? I mean, that is something that's out of our control as parents, and predominantly teachers are women, too. So the subtle cues that we give to our children, I think, have a lot to do with this gender equality or or inequality. And also, what happens when our boys and girls go to college? Uh, It's why I'm doing a college campus tour as part of the Be Fierce movement, because one in five women are going to be sexually assaulted on college campuses. And not to narc on the Greek system, but what happens in fraternities and, and such in the way in which young men learn certain things and then carry that with them into the workplace. So I think it's just crucial to get to, to people young. You're, it's, gonna, it's harder to change people when they're 40 and 50, but it's a lot easier when they're younger and still thinking about who they want to be. Well, because I think the flip side of the, the masculine and the entitlement is the undervaluing of feminine and contributions and women in the workforce from the company, from daughters, from teachers. And I wonder, as a part of the Be Fierce movement, what do you think is so essential that we start valuing women? Because until we value women, we're going to be coming up against these, these, the shame and the blame and the equating the sides. Well, the first thing is to put more women in powerful positions. You know, right now, Fortune 500 companies are 94% still run by men, and that's why we need men in this fight. So as, as long as it's like this, you know, I would just call on those men to hire more women in top positions. 
I mean, that, that would stop actually this issue cold in so many examples because if you had more women in the top positions where the enabling may be happening, uh, which normalizes it in culture, if the women were there, then it probably wouldn't happen as much. And so promote women, give them a seat in the boardroom, um, stop just having the token one executive female. <laughs> So you're everywhere right now because this movement is having such a moment. Mm -hmm. And you've expressed a lot of optimism about that. And you also said in your remarks that you started your career covering Anita Hill. Mm -hmm. And so we've had moments before that felt like catalytic moments. Do you see that as all kind of part of progress um, with fits and starts? Do you think this moment is different and will be more enduring? I guess I would love to, to know what context you put this into. Uh, yes, I do, because cultural shifts take a long time, and the idea that we have come this far since my story broke only 15 months ago is really, really optimistic to me. I think what happened after Anita Hill was that companies instated uh, sexual harassment training. But then they just thought that was good enough. And so a lot of this also, as I've been telling you, was cover, covered up in secrecy with, with arbitration. So we were kind of fooling ourselves into thinking we had come so far. I actually believe now that social media has had a huge impact on keeping this story alive over the last three weeks. And with the Me Too hashtag, um, I, I really feel like so many more women by the droves have felt the courage to come forward, and men too. And so um, every morning when I wake up and look at my bracelet that says, Be Fierce, uh, not every day do I want to take on this mission, but I will myself uh, to it because I am a goal-oriented person, and so I have to be optimistic about where we are right now. And as horrifying as the stories have been, I think that it's amazing that every day more and more women are finding the courage to come forward. Well, and I think what you said is so true, that we did the training and we're like, look, you guys, we took care of it. And I, you know, the surprising nature of the Me Too campaign, you know, I was a women's studies minor. You would think I would not be shocked by the prevalence of sexual harassment. And even when you were writing the book, as someone who went through it, feeling surprised of the prevalence of these stories speaks so much to that culture of secrecy that you were talking about and is so prevalent. And I... Again, I want to thank you so much for that. And I read this quote the other day, and I immediately thought of you, so we had this made. It said, To display the lantern of soul in shadowy times like these, to be fierce, and to show mercy towards others, both are acts of immense bravery and greatest necessity. Struggling souls catch light from other souls who are fully lit and willing to show it. If you would help to calm the tumult, this is one of the strongest things you can do. And so we have this made because I think you are a soul on deck, a soul lit for mm -hmm. other women, and it's just amazing. Aww. Amazing. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you so much. much. Thank you. What's on your mind outside of politics, Sarah? Um, Halloween, for sure. Definitely Halloween time. Um, costumes, trick-or-treat, candy, um, in the course of also mm, the ongoing move, etc. What is your family doing for costumes That's this year? I know you guys always do a family thing. We do. We do a family thing. We always dress together. 
my eight-year-old mentioned perhaps wanting to abandon that. And I said, sure, find a new family to live with if you don't want to dress in our costume things. Uh, So we're doing Minecraft this year. I'm Alex. My husband is a Enderman. Amos is a Creeper. Griffin is Steve. Felix is a Minecraft sheep. So Minecraft. Very nice. So we do family costumes as well. And the girls wanted to be Shopkins this year. Ha! So Jane is Delish Donut. Love and it. Ellen is Cookie Cookie. And then Chad and I decided that since our children were going to be pastries, we would be chefs. Oh, I love it. So that is our family theme for the year. We did chefs when my Griffin was a baby, The very first, our very first costume. He was a lobster and we were chefs and we carried him around a pot. Oh, adorable. What's your favorite family costume you've ever done? I really loved it when we did Mario that's one of my favorite ones. They were Griffin and Amos were the Mario brothers. Felix was a baby and he was a toad. Nicholas was Creeper or King Koopa, and I was um, Princess Peach, and it was super awesome. I'll put some pictures on Instagram. My favorite is from when Ellen was a baby too. Her first Halloween, we did Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Oh, so cute! Because Jane was the perfect little Goldilocks age, and she has this blonde hair, and so she was she was perfect for that. And Ellen was such a cute baby bear, and Aww, it was lots of fun. Cute. So in addition to Halloween, the the thing that I wanted to share this week outside of politics, because so many people have responded so positively to my road rage strategy. (laughs) Instead, when I'm when I'm driving, if you didn't hear this episode, when I'm driving and I something happens that starts to rile me up, someone cuts me off or whatever, I think to myself, be careful, friend. Often I say it out loud. Be careful, friend. And that little shift really changes my attitude. So I have been continuing to incorporate themes like that into my life. And my newest one, which I think is very appropriate for weeks like Halloween when you're going to be in big crowds of people, when somebody is being a jerk or not following the procedures or cutting in lines or otherwise just acting foolishly, I have come to think to myself, maybe they've not been loved enough today. (laughs) And just that little shift, maybe you haven't been loved enough today, helps me treat those people with much more kindness than I would otherwise and just prevents my brain from running away from me in a very negative direction. You're like loved enough in your life. Probably not, right? But then that gets me into kind of an empathy spiral. So if I just leave it for today, it doesn't feel like a problem that I have to personally try to solve. I feel that. (laughs) My two on the Enneagram also can take me down a path if I worry too much about someone's life. So if it's just today, then I think I'm just going to give you a little grace in this moment and move on. I like it. I like it. Well, thank you for joining us for another crazy episode, indictment-filled crazy episode of Pansy Politics. I have a feeling it won't be our last one. And until... brush up on our criminal justice knowledge. Yeah, seriously. And until next week, keep it nuanced, y'all. Thank you so much to our executive producers, Nicholas, Chad, Tracy, Leslie, Sabrina, and George. You can join us on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Pantsuit Politics and on Twitter at Pantsuit Politic, no S. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com or reviews are always helpful and you can leave one through the Apple Podcast app. Thank you to Dante Lima, the composer of our Pantsuit Politics theme music. <laughs>